Labyrinths is brought to you by Knox Robinson Productions. Please consider becoming a patron. For as little as $5 a month, you can listen to Labyrinths ad-free. Visit patreon.com slash Robinson to learn more. Feeling blue? Ask your doctor about the Caribbean. The garden sun will melt your troubles. So let's all raise a glass of bubbles. The water's warm. The breeze is clean. You're dining like a queen. Could you go? We gotta go! We gotta go! Luxury is your mind adrift aboard a Caribbean cruise. Yeah, she's like, where's my insulin? We're already at the gate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where's my... Your Highness, the people are starving for relaxation. Well, let them eat cake and steak and lobster and ice cream. <laughs> Fuck up, go! We only have so much time to get to this boat. Be timeless. Be extraordinary. Be here and nowhere else. Feeling lost? Then you're in the right place. I'm Amanda Knox. And I'm Christopher Robinson. And this is Labyrinths. Last November, as an early wedding gift, my brother took us on a Caribbean cruise. We had never been on a cruise before, but we were pretty sure it would be some version of hell. We're bicycle-through-the-rain type travelers. Stay a month in one city and make friends with the locals type travelers. Visit world-class museums and archaeological relics type travelers. We're the type of travelers who prefer to step into the winding streets of Paris and just get lost. Las Vegas on a climate-wrecking boat full of mass-market luxury with duty-free perfume was the exact opposite of our ideal vacation. So, of course, we wrapped ourselves in a cocoon of aloof judgment. Let's see. Okay, we're here on deck seven, the atrium level. Walking Um, through the art gallery where there is art, (laughs) (laughs) quote-unquote, available today. Um, it's good. What would you describe the line work here? Child crayon? <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Yes. We thought we knew the boundaries of this labyrinth. We were wrong. We ended up getting, well, lost. There's nothing you can do at that point. You feel helpless. You feel out of control. You feel like you just can't do anything. Lost in other people. I'm Champagne Hughes. I'm Tina Holland. We're from San Francisco Bay Area. We met Champagne and her mother about halfway through our trip. We were at the piano bar, which normally sounds like this. Chris just saw something on her face some combination of relief and exhaustion. So we asked her for an interview. And we met up the next day in that very same spot, 
In the few quiet hours when sun-drunk cruisers were napping and showering up for another raucous night of pre-packaged fun. Her story starts four days before this moment, back in San Francisco. The whole family was excited. This cruise, this big adventure, this is our first family trip. Um, It's myself, my mom, my brother and sister. So we've started our journey on Saturday night at 11 p.m. We fly into Philadelphia, and there, that's when it all gets started. Their flight gets delayed. Pilot was either sick or just didn't show up. He didn't show up, so we waited for him. As soon as we get the pilot, there's mechanical issues. Fifteen minutes has now become an hour. Mm -hmm. And then what happened was that hour got extended to over four hours. That they were saying we have to go back because oh there was the an imbalance there was another imbalance with the uh, gas tanks yeah because I guess the gas was on one side of the plane too much it was too much so they needed to go back but now the delays have pushed the pilots over their allowed flight time they have to clock out so then they had to get off and they had to find uh-huh. two more pilots. Yes. To fly the plane. Yes. All yeah. the while, we're, we're trying, trying to, make. to um, make it to the ship. And as the clock was ticking, they were stuck at the gate, confined to their seats, and they were starving. He was saying that if you get off this plane, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to shut yeah, those doors. We won't, because they have to legally, they have to onboard Board us. us. And this is yeah. like 300 plus people mm-hmm. on this plane. We couldn't go to the bathroom. A couple of people wanted to go to the restroom, and they're like, no, you can't get up. Please so you can't it ended leave. up being an argument oh, was, of where we had 300 people stopped from using the restroom, eating, getting something to eat. They didn't have any food on the flight because it's supposed to be four hours. You get snacks. Yeah. But mm-hmm. mind you, we've mm-hmm. already reached like five hours yeah. or mm-hmm. so. They finally let passengers off to eat and use the restroom. And now, six hours behind schedule, they were back on the runway. And then, as we are about to take off, they say it is someone's human right to want to get off the plane. We're on the runway, we're, but we're sitting on the we runway sitting, for like 20-some minutes still. Yes, yes. So someone was like, I've had, I've had it. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm ready to get and off. And when that happened, it created a domino mm-hmm. effect in which other people were like, you know what? We're going to get off, too. About 20 or so minutes wow. later, there's an announcement that said if people decide to get off this plane, we are not going to take the bags off. Mm-hmm. So your bags will be shipped to San Juan mm-hmm. and then you have to request all that stuff. So wow. those same people came right back on the plane. And sat down. And sat down. <laughs> and so we finally leave. But by this time, we're already an hour and a half late to the cruise. So it just mm-hmm. left us. Yeah. So we're in San Juan. You missed the cruise? We missed cruise. the cruise. Um, yeah. So what did you do? Uh, we nothing we could do. So <laughs> much of anything. This is literally the beginning of the story. While Champagne and her family got left behind in San Juan, we left our cabin to start exploring the hell ship that would feed and distract and shout us into relaxation for the next seven days. And walking the long corridors, it was hard to tell if it was the lime daiquiris or the swells of the ocean that were putting a sway in our step. And the daiquiris, or chardonnays, or coronas, or why not, Glenlivet, neat. It's endless, if you have the drink all you want package. The booze, we discovered, was a microcosm of the whole cruise experience. You pay for it up front, the confines of your experience are defined by the package, 
and you pay for it afterwards as well. In pounding headaches and extra pounds. You might say a Caribbean cruise is like fun in a bottle, like life in a beer commercial. But when you actually step inside the beer commercial, there's this lifeless quality to everything. Even the smiles of the crew, who incessantly wish you good morning, good afternoon, how's your day? I realize we sound like elitist jerks here, hovering above this experience in judgment. It didn't help that we brought with us a copy of David Foster Wallace's essay about his own cruise experience, a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again. I have in one week, he says, been the object of over 1,500 professional smiles. Good morning. That's how we felt, like objects being blasted with fun rays, held at the barrel of a relaxation gun. And there's something disconcerting about being addressed by name by a crew member whose face you do not recognize. Hello, Amanda. Was he the one who cleaned our room five times a day? Was he memorizing lists of passenger names and photos? And speaking of photos, they never stop. When you board, when you deboard, at the casino, at karaoke, at dinner, there's a crew member with a camera asking you to smile. And if you smile now, when you get those photos at the end of your cruise... For a price, of course. You'll know you had a good time. For why else were you smiling? If you say something loud enough, they just bring it. Yeah. Everything about the cruise ship experience is one of excess. And that comes into full focus at dinner. In one night, I had the steak and the lobster and... What else is good? Do you have any more braised rabbit? Any more braised rabbit coming? No, you can always order it anyway. I know, that's why I'm ordering it. And for dessert? What is that? That's the uh, praline. Uh, oh, wait. This is the chocolate. This is the trislicious. That's the lava cake. And that's the praline cake. But for fear that your braised rabbit or tiramisu might not hold your attention long enough, there must be entertainment between each forkful. All right, why don't you describe what you're seeing here? These poor waiters dressed with frilly sleeves doing silly dances. Like the house and getting all of the kids to stand up and dance with them. The casino on our ship was not overly large, but you might say it was the spiritual heart of the experience. We don't gamble, so we didn't lose any money at the slots. But all the activities on board had that same casino feel about them. The trivia, the scavenger hunts, the dance party in the atrium. David Wallace described it all as managed fun. And this managed fun is so needy. It craves your attention. It feeds on your boredom. Even at 6 a.m. on the way to the gym, the empty corridors echo with the automated noise from the casino games. We thought that getting off the boat would alleviate this feeling.
Each morning, the boat arrives at a new island and disgorges its belly full of cruisers into a different tourist trap with the very same mass-produced trinkets. The same sad monkeys used as photo props. To be fair, you did flip out when we swam with the dolphins. But you remember what I said when the bartender asked me about it. I was conflicted the whole time, but also so excited. <laughs> I would set them free, though. I would free Willie the shit out of those dolphins. <laughs> but perhaps the most depressing thing was our fellow cruisers, deboarding each morning like cattle, carrying with them American dollars to be harvested by the locals through craft or grift, service or direction. Many of them wore group T-shirts. Jefferson Family Cruise 2019. Cruisers for Christ. Few walked from the ship into town. Instead, they waited for trams and buses. I swear, we were the only people on the boat who regularly walked up more than one flight of stairs. After just a day, we were already feeling so alone. And so we escaped periodically into our cabin to discuss the growing feeling of despair. I think a really good metaphor for this is how there's a whole deck devoted to backdrops that people can take pictures in front of that aren't real things. Getting their picture taken in front of a fake sunset on a boat when there's a real sunset. Outside! <laughs> outside. <laughs> we tried our best to learn from the experience. I think I have um, come to have a deeper understanding of the draw and appeal of being able to stop thinking. But when you put your thinking aside, what is it replaced with? This experience is manufactured to get people to indulge in their worst impulses. Gluttony and... <laughs> Seriously, it is. Gluttony and wastefulness and mindlessness instead of mindfulness. Is that the thesis of our episode? I don't know if it's the thesis of this episode. I don't know if we're even going to use any of this material. But I think it's worth acknowledging. Just the fact that, like, literally you can leave your trash anywhere. You can just litter behind you. And everyone's like, someone will pick it up for you. It's like, why <laughs> is that something that we want to indulge in? We already do that enough in our regular lives. Ugh. If David Foster Wallace was on this ship... I would love to like sit on a back deck overlooking the water and just being like, can you believe this? <laughs> Supposedly this is fun, never doing this again. <laughs> Meanwhile, Champagne and her family were going to great lengths to arrive at the very place we couldn't wait to escape. We need to have flights to the next port, which is St. Thomas, Thomas, which was hard because they only have a certain amount of flights and at right. certain times of the day. And there are 30 people in the same boat as them. That is, not on the boat they're supposed to be on. And there's only two small planes that fly to St. Thomas the next morning. 
Mind you, people on the plane, as, we, as soon as we landed, were already fighting for seats, for seats mm-hmm. on different planes. Mm-hmm. Some people just chose to, to go on a whole a different, different carrier, yeah. get them JetBlue, whatever, mm-hmm. all these. Because it's all the process, the whole process was oh, long. Was it was just, it was super oh long. my God, I'd want to pull up each eyelash slowly. <laughs> um, so he says, oh, I only got seats for three. Something pushed you out. You know, it's yeah. like, yeah. who... Who's going to survive? Like, get the, the weakest link off the... Um, so, that was fine. And for me, I was like, well, I've been on cruises. This is their first time on a cruise. I kind of was like that sacrificial poet. I'm like, don't worry about me. I'll be fine. Take the family and just... I, will, I don't think I mom would have continued. I really feel like mom would have been like, okay, I'm going home. Y'all enjoy it. Champagne managed to book a ticket on the next flight out. So she'd be right behind the rest of her family. They stayed the night in San Juan and headed back to the airport the next morning. But at the gate, mom's eyes went wide. She's like, where's my insulin? We're already at the gate. Mm-hmm. Oh, where's my insulin? Where's my insulin? I'm like, what? Are you, what? And she's like, it's in the refrigerator. I'm like, oh my God. Right. So my brother and sister and mom are on the flight and their flight was leaving like 20 minutes. Yeah. I am like freaked, running through, anxiety's high. But the hotel was close by, so Champagne booked it, grabbed the insulin, and made it back before her family boarded. So as they're lining up, I'm like, this is not a lot of people. My sister goes inside, and you can see them through the glass. And I'm asking, like, how many passengers are there? He's like, it's an eight-passenger plane. And I'm looking through the window. I'm like, that's it. These are all the people. And my sister's like... What? I'm like trying to like <laughs> play it small. Like eight people. And she's like, oh, like her face is like dropped. I was like, oh my God, we're going to be. You're going to be flying the plane. Yeah, right. right. Literally. So, so they safely yeah. arrive in St. Thomas. They safely arrived to St. Thomas. So. Just barely. But now, Tina and her two youngest kids were stuck in traffic. We can literally see the ship. And we're going, could you go? We got to go. We got to go. And he was just like, any slower this guy can go, I'm about to really just throw him out the window and drive myself. I'm up on the sidewalk. I mean, it was just slow motion. And then when we get there, they're like rushing us in there. And I'm like, my daughter, my daughter's coming. Well, we can't, you know, stop the boat from leaving. She's not here in the next couple minutes. The door's closed. We're not going to open it. She hasn't even landed yet. But you could hear somebody saying, oh, yeah, there's a police escort. Somebody's coming right now. Is that your daughter? She's wearing a hat. I'm like, yeah, she's going to be here. I'm just, like, super excited. And the lady's like, we're not going to hold the ship. We don't hold the ship. They don't do that. Is there somebody you can call? While this was happening, we were sitting down in the ship's tiny library, one of the few relatively quiet spots available with a family we met at the piano bar. I'm uh, Max Rosenberg, okay, right. Advocate, He's a and probate judge. sitting to my right is my wife, O.C. Hi, I'm O.C. Rosenberg from Stratford, Connecticut. To her right is Asher, age 11. Hello, I am Asher, age 11 and three quarters, yes. Sweet. And this is Zohar, his brother, sitting next to him, age 13. Hello, I have just gained artificial intelligence. Hey! hey. <laughs> what happened to your regular intelligence? I never had it's it. Now. <laughs> it's now artificial. Much better. We didn't know it yet, 
but the Rosenbergs would shatter our expectations of who cruise-goers are and how to get the most out of a cruise experience. This wasn't their first time on a boat. As 13-year-old Zohar explained, their last cruise was eventful. We got on the cruise, they announced one of the engines was broken and they couldn't repair it until they got to one of the islands. The, the ship person, the Cookie. boss, Cookie. John was everything would be fine. Yeah, he said was the ship really wasn't fine. that badly damaged, but we wouldn't make it to any of the ports except for... Freeport. Freeport. God, why are we telling this story? This, this is, is so Yeah, miserable. so like a few days into the cruise, uh, stabilizers broke, which was very pleasant. Which means it Bear was a bumpy ride. It was we, awful. We were going out of- crashing on the deck. I felt we my were heart throbbing in my throat. I felt the walls caving in around me as my- and the walls actually started grinding against the bulkheads. Oh my god, that was the and, worst. Yeah, because the ship was rocking so much. Like, metal on metal grinding oh, all night long. So finally, on the third day, we, we called the people over we and said, there's something long. seriously wrong. We don't want to be here anymore. They told us that once they got to Freeport, things would be better because they picked up their engineers. Yeah. Nice It island. wasn't great. It was it worse great. than the way there. That was, was that your first no. cruise? That, that was, was their fourth. fourth. That was your fourth cruise. Okay. Okay. You guys are veterans then. Yeah, yeah they gave us a gold card. Yeah, I don't know what this means, except I'm part of a caste system that I don't really understand. What I didn't understand was why they'd want to be on another cruise when their last one had given them days of motion sickness. Max answered by way of example. There was this woman once. It was the first cruise, wasn't yeah. it? And she still, we're still talking to her. We still try to help her every once in a while. But that's the thing. They're not single-serving friends. It's not like it's Fight Club. We keep in touch with all these people. So, like, all these people, they've got these interesting lives, these interesting stories. They're coming from some other part of the, uh, the, the country. Uh, the three teachers. I love the three teachers. I actually, I like them so much, I made them characters in my, my sci-fi opera that I wrote. You heard that right. Probate judge Max Rosenberg wrote a sci-fi opera. What's it about? The Earth is about to be destroyed. Very few people realize how close to the end we are. Certain people somehow manage to come together on a cruise ship, which really happens to be a starship. We were beginning to realize that this family was our kind of weird. And as if to prove our suspicion. Yeah. Oh, but I didn't even tell you how I got into a fist fight with Gary Coleman. Please tell me about this. <laughs> this wasn't on a cruise liner, but at Comic-Con in New York City. So I don't know how it I wandered there. I was looking bizarre. for water for the baby, Zohar, who was Yay. on her back. Mm-hmm. And I wandered over there, and then I saw Gary Coleman, a familiar face. And so I went over and I said, hey, what's going on? How are you? You know, I was a, I was a child actor at one point also. We start up conversation, talking about some of the same people we know, some of the same things we did. But the conversation got heated when it turned to the subject of another former child actor, Ricky Schroeder. And I go, whoa, whoa. I go, Gary, don't be so short with me, okay? That's not cool. I'm just trying to talk to you. And I didn't mean, I didn't mean to use that word. It was, uh, he's very sensitive about his height. Apparently he was, so. Uh, he uh, leaped he got, over the table. Oh, really? He leaped over. There was a table between the us, table. but not for long. <laughs> And got into Max's face. Scrambled over the table, leaped. And he charged me, and I put my hand out, and he started taking swings at me. Oh, and oh, I'm oh, holding oh, him oh, back, oh. and I'm pushing him. You know, it's like kind of just trying to push him up. And then Peter Mayhew gets up, and he's like six foot. Peter Mayhew come to the rescue? 
That is Peter Mayhew, the actor who played Chewbacca. He was six foot seven. I feel like he was a giant who didn't even see us. And he just kind of walked between us and we both kind of fell backwards. And Gary Coleman's manager had enough time to grab Gary, pull him back behind the table and say, you know, you're already on parole. What are you doing with this temper thing? Over the next week, we'd hear a dozen more equally crazy stories from the Rosenbergs. As cruise noobs, we followed their lead. And they, in effect, adopted us. We always try to find a group of people to be friends with on the ship. You're that group of people. (laughs) You're our people. You're our people. (laughs) Because it makes the whole whole cruise much, much more entertaining and much more fun. Why It makes it not as lonely. Well, mm. So because the managed fun of the cruise experience tries to fill every vacant moment so you never have to worry, what do I do now? Because it wants and expects you to be thoughtless, we'd assumed that was the only way to really engage with it. The Rosenbergs, who were sharp and present, all of them, showed us how wrong that was. But we weren't the only ones making new friends. With Champagne's family flying ahead of her to St. Thomas, she found solidarity with a few other stragglers. There is a couple that's celebrating their 36th anniversary, Julie and Bob, and then Ashley and Brian, who are boyfriend and girlfriend. So we're all, you know, powwowing together. We're like, we're gonna make it, we're gonna make it. As we are talking and getting to know each other, someone says, There's a 15-minute delay for our flight. At this point, even 15 minutes could mean getting separated from her family. As soon as they landed, Ashley called a taxi. But there was a problem. The 36-year couple, Julie and Bob, they have two bags with them per person. These are enormous bags. And Julie and Bob were in their late 60s. They were not moving fast. As we get off the plane, Ashley, Brian, and I were like, you know what, it's survival of the fittest right now. We're just gonna book and go for this taxi. And because Ashley said, we have five people in our group, the taxi said, well, where's the other two? We're like, fuck up, go, we got to go. Like, we can't wait. Like, we only have so much time to get to this boat. We begged him like three or four times to just close the doors. As he finally closes the door to approach the driver's side, the couple shows up. So now we open up our doors, welcome them in. And that was like, like we were gonna wait for you a good yeah. six to eight minutes. But by this time, like every minute counted. Now Champagne and her new friends were stuck in traffic, but their driver knew a guy at the port and called him up. And he was like, tell them to hold the ship, hold the ship, hold the ship. As we're getting there, we see the ship. We're close to freedom, our destination. When we are 100 feet away, the guy on the walkie-talkie says, stop, take him back. The boat's leaving, they're not getting on. Just turn around, take him back to the airport. And we are like, Drive, keep driving. And, and right, and so we hop out of the car. We made it, we finally made it. We're sitting there, the boat does not look like it's moving. And we're like yelling, all these people are just oh. watching, right? In their rooms, oh, everything. Yeah. And we're like, we're right here. And you can just see the boat moves so slow. Oh. And we're like, I'm, 
the feeling of it of just something being so close was like so real like i felt like i can literally run and hop off the ledge and just spider-man myself to this <laughs> ship and just like but it was so real so you all you can think about was playing back every moment of like what happened yeah, was it the, the 15 mm-hmm. minutes was it the six minutes because of the couple was it something that i did 20 years ago that like like it was just so surreal that i think i wanted to cry but because i'm just tired i couldn't all i could do was like get on the floor and touch the ground and like had to collect myself there's nothing you can do at that point you feel helpless you feel out of control you just can't do anything and like that the ship sailed away leaving champagne stranded on the dock for the second time. We could give you lots of reasons to support Labyrinths on Patreon, including ad-free episodes and exclusive patron-only content. But why not hear it direct from a listener? My name is Henry, and I've been a supporter of the Labyrinths podcast for some time. I can totally relate to the concept of feeling lost, and I think the stories have helped me tremendously getting through these last couple of years, and I think they would help others as well. Visit patreon.com slash Knox Robinson. Pina coladas in hand, staring out over the water of St. Thomas as the ship left the harbor. We had no clue that down on the dock, Champagne was in crisis mode. My 36 couple freaked out. Their first cruise, right? Their first cruise. Mm -hmm. And then my boyfriend and girlfriend, Ashley Bryan, they were stunned. They couldn't do anything. Reason being also was that this had to be the port they get on because Mm -hmm. Ashley did not have her passport. Meaning she could have boarded in Puerto Rico or St. Thomas, which is part of the U.S. Virgin Islands. But without a passport, she wouldn't be able to get on the ship at any further ports of call. It was over for them. They, they already Aww. knew it. And then, out of nowhere... Ryan proposes to Ashley. Proposes? Wait, wait. Proposes? Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, there at the dock? On the port, that was yeah, on the so dock. I, that was the whole wait, idea on. for him to bring he, her. He was, he was yeah. <sighs> We're all just, like, stuck. their stunned. trip is done now. Their, their trip is done. Yeah. <clears throat> I think because they recognized that, they were just like, yeah. I'm going to propose to you right here. And... Of course, we try to find some joy of it. But at the same time, we're like, you were supposed to do that on the ship. Yeah. But they were like, hey, you know what? Make the best of it. This is the Islanders. Make the best of it. This is great. You can get married right now. They're like, we can call a priest. It's like, well, you don't have to because I'm a priest. I can actually marry you guys right now if you wanted to. Brian's like, why not? And Ash is like, well, I did want a small wedding. And they're like, okay, let's do it. So I get in front of them. We're at the dock under this spotlight with like flies just all over the way. We have all the island. There's a police officer. We had music in the back. I'm like, this was like a destination wedding. Um, and then Julie, uh, she was like, oh, I have a veil. I don't know how the hell she had like this lace thing in her. This is quite she interesting. Two suitcases. Right? Yeah. Two suitcases. What did she not have? What did she not have? So I'm standing in front of them, and this was my first wedding. Who thought 
I was meant to get my priesthoodship for this moment. So we did it. They said I do. Uh, and guess what? Julie, with her many bags, had a pastry in her bag. <laughs> She's like, oh my god, I have the first cake! <laughs> so we take a picture, they're eating their first cake. The police officer gives them a drink. That's their first beverage. And they all celebrated in St. Thomas for the night. Julie and Bob and I have dinner. They have a long talk, and they're sharing moments about how they met in a tavern, and he's a biker, she's a writer, like all this beautiful stuff of like, oh, I'm supposed to kind of spend this day with them. Like, kind of felt like a granddaughter in a way, and just like getting to know them. And lo and behold, the next day is actually the anniversary of Bob and Julie. It's almost too heartwarming to believe all this light in the middle of a dark situation. So it's probably time to tell you about the unexpected darkness that befell us aboard the ship. Chris, it turns out, is allergic to the Caribbean. Three days in, after spending some time on the water, out in the sun, the skin on my face developed scaly patches. Then my whole face swelled up like I'd been stung by 50 bees. Stumbling to the bathroom, I banged my pinky toe against the door, nearly breaking it. He was in a right state, limping, his face getting more puffy by the minute. And meanwhile, as the ship is sailing on, I'm going down WebMD rabbit holes. I hadn't eaten anything outside my normal diet. Could it be solar urticaria or polymorphous light eruption? Whatever it was, we were coming from gray Seattle in November, and the Caribbean sun was a shock to our systems, and Chris was likely vitamin D deficient. What worried me was whether or not the swelling in my face would close off my airway. I took some Benadryl, crossed my fingers. God, I feel like you're looking worse. Yeah? I mean, you're looking very, very red right now. Is the swelling going down at all? Not really. I wanted to go out, spend time with the Rosenbergs, but I felt like a hideous freak monster. Now I feel like I'm a hideous freak monster. You're not a hideous freak monster. Oh, you just—you were just marveling at my hideousness. I wasn't marveling at your hideousness. I was marveling at how swollen and red you are, but that's very different. You're not hideous. You're just a handsome man who's suffering. And while my body felt like it was pulling me towards death, Amanda found a similar pull on her mind. I've actually felt scared of myself by how compelled I've felt to jump off the balcony. Yeah, just... And just disappear and into just the ocean. be out there and die. Yeah, which yeah. is, like, also my worst nightmare. Like, it, it, yeah. I've had fantasies of, like, that being the worst way that I could go. And still... The draw, the like pull, the like impulse, you almost feel your like legs about to spring when you're on that freaking balcony. And so I'm almost scared to go out there because it's so tempting. Freud called it the death drive. Edgar Allan Poe called it the imp of the perverse. We stand upon the brink of a precipice. We peer into the abyss. We grow sick and dizzy. Our first impulse is to shrink from the danger. Unaccountably, we remain. 
There is no passion in nature so demoniacally impatient as that of him who, shuddering upon the edge of a precipice, thus meditates a plunge. As I lay in bed, dabbing my swollen face with aloe, Amanda stood at the balcony, peering into the passing waves. It was not terrifying so much as moving. Perhaps that yearning for the ultimate escape was all the greater for the fact that I was trapped inside a consumerist luxury experience seemingly designed to infect me with loathing. It's not something you'd ever see in a cruise advertisement. Escape your daily grind and feel the true desire for death. And feeling that dark impulse so deeply is something I'm grateful for. It was one of the two things that genuinely moved me on this cruise. The other was the sincere struggle for Champagne to reunite with her family, even if it wasn't a place that was driving me to thoughts of suicide. Having missed the boat a second time, Champagne was determined not to miss it a third. The taxi driver told her to be ready for pickup at 6 a.m. So I was up. I didn't sleep. I was up like at three o'clock in the morning, just stressed the buck out, thinking about like, what am I gonna do when I get home? Like, am I gonna run to my family? Just like, I really felt like this was gonna be my last time. Ugh, emotional. I really felt like this was gonna be my last time that I was gonna see my family. I was like, fuck, I just wanna see them. There's a strange synchronicity here. For even though we hadn't met yet and were in entirely different situations, Champagne, too, was having fatalistic thoughts. So I'm in that hotel room of like, this might be my last view. Um, it's like 5.30, you know, I'm already refreshed. I actually put on all white because I was like, this is gonna be my death clothes. Oh no. <laughs> That's why I was in white. I know, they didn't hear this. Mm. I was like, this is, this is what I'm gonna die in. And as time is approaching, 5.58 comes, our driver's not there. 6 o'clock comes, our driver's not there. 6.08, our driver's not there. I finally went to the front court, get a taxi. It's like 6.17, 6.20. And they're like, stop tripping because the ferry's just right down the street. It's only five minutes. So we get there and we find out we're at the wrong ferry. The ferry we're supposed to get to was on the other side of the island, which is Red Hook, and I still have Julie and Bob with me. So every moment with them, I felt like I needed to push them. It just ended up being where I'm telling them what to do. I'm taking the luggage because they're older, they're having a hard time dragging this luggage, and everybody's on island time, so they're like, relax, I got it, but that, I'm grabbing the luggage and throwing it in the car, like, we got to go. Like, <laughs> they're like, but you're so nice, I don't care how nice I look, let's just keep going. Yeah, you're amped. But at the same time, I had to learn how to let myself go because how long can I stay amped like that without really getting some rest. Like, I'm in a ferry. There's nothing I can do. Because I think what also got to my head was Julie and Bob called me the fearless leader. So I kept thinking about what does that mean? And I was just like also losing control. Like, I, during this whole time because of Julie and Bob, I had to put on this mask. So I think because they saw that, they were like, well, she knows what she's doing. I'm like, I don't care about you guys, really. As much as I love them now, as much as like what we went through as a collective, I definitely care about them, but I have to take care of myself because you guys are your own family. Mine are on the ship and I'm trying to get to them. 
They made it to the airport with time to spare. But of course, there was no one to check them in. So I said, I'm going to find this person because I'm thinking island time, he's relaxing somewhere yeah. in a freaking lounge, and he was. With that problem solved, Champagne was just one short flight away from St. Martin, where her family was waiting for her. But did I mention she has a fear of flying? Okay, this is it. I kind of prepared myself mentally, spiritually for this moment because I found out I'm on a 16-passenger plane. And I'm like, fuck. So we're outside in the waiting area where we get our tickets. We hear a message like, flight something something leaving now. Okay, why didn't they just call and give us an announcement? I didn't know because of how the airport was structured that we're supposed to go into another waiting area. And so the guy said, you almost missed your flight. I was like, there's only 16 of them. Like, how can yeah. we miss it? Like, he's like, yeah, you weren't here at the gate. Like, we didn't know. You didn't tell us. You didn't tell us that we're supposed to go inside. I'm thinking that that's like, as they call us out here, we go inside because it's a small area. And I nearly, like, when he was telling me that it was my fault this time, it so hurt me because I was like, I had people that were depending on me, that were trusting me. I have my family that's trusting me to get to them. I nearly lost it. journey. <laughs> oh. oh, man. I'm so sorry. I nearly lost it. Fuck, there goes my makeup! <laughs> <laughs> um, and so when he was doing that, I was like, oh my god, I hope you're playing. I really hope you're just kidding me. But no, they were actually holding the flight for us. And I had to turn away from everyone else because I felt so weak. I was about to crumble. Well, that moment passed. We're here, we're finally here. So all I need to do is just get on this plane. And of course, because, ugh, I love big people, I'm sorry, but <laughs> because I'm already freaked out about this plane, there was a bigger sized gentleman. I was like, fuck, we're gonna go down? I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I was like, fuck, Julie's bag's in. Like, in like, I'm playing every single moment of like, there's so much weight on this plane. <laughs> and, uh, and there was another hefty lady in front of me. And for some reason, because I was sitting in the back at first, I don't know why my cozy area was to sit in between those people. <laughs> I am going... <laughs> I think for me, it was like, I wanted to be held. Um, because Julie and Bob were on the other side of me, and I was just like, okay, I have this, and then I have my actor preparers book, and I was like, just read that. And we're in the clouds, and I hated clouds for a moment, because I was like, why are we bumping in the clouds? Like, why? <laughs> and then I was like, okay, think about this appreciate the clouds, appreciate what's happening. Zen out like, you know, love, earth, God, all this stuff. Like, let this be your journey, you know? And just like trying to get myself out of this mood. While Champagne was in the clouds, struggling to find a moment of Zen, we were on St. Martin, trying to figure out how the locals felt about the behemoth ships in their harbor and the daily flood of pale Americans. 
Our taxi driver, surprisingly, was a big fan of the cruise experience. I've been in that ship already. Yeah. My first cruise in my life. Did you like it? Yeah, a lot of fun. I do, I do cruise 17 times already, a lot of cruise. Wow. wow. 17 times. Why do you keep going back to the cruise? I love it, man, because it's a single man, you know? Ah. That's a topic for a whole other podcast. Look to your right side, down the other, you're going to see. Down to the corner, we see the coconut, she does a nude beach, okay? Yeah. Everybody's naked. They got good body, ugly body. Both, yeah, it's just everything in between, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> got some guy got big balls, nothing in it. <laughs> I'll tell you how it is, man. But, they, but everybody loves St. Martin. Why do people love St. Martin? <laughs> St. Martin, the people are very friendly. We live back. Mm. And we live, we live a normal life. We, we're not racist. The white and the black, they put a gun. Mm. But you know, you can't please everybody. Some like you, some hate you. Mm. But who cares? You gotta love yourself. This is something we found again and again on the islands. It's more than just island time. It's a deeper kind of acceptance that life won't always take you where you expect. We asked a man named Sheldon, who took us underwater to explore some old wrecks, how he wound up spending his days teaching tourists to snuba, and what surprised him about the job. People nearly dying in a sense like they get overwhelmed and they panic for the split second, so they drink water and stuff like that. And uh, they gotta here come comes Superman. <laughs> How does it you feel know? to have to be Superman in that moment? Good. You know, it, it always feels good to feel needed, you know, being needed yeah. is always good. And having somebody rely on you. Which I have to point out is the exact opposite of what the cruise ship experience promises you, that you will have no responsibilities. If I get tired of the Dutch side, I go on the front side. If I get tired over there, I come back here. And if I get tired of the upper world, I go under the water. And that's my zin down there, you know? Being able to be under the water, not hearing nobody screaming in the air. You know, you just meditate and do what you got to do. You know, you free your mind. Yeah, very, very yeah, peaceful. There's no Wi-Fi, there's no Twitter. There's no, yeah. no girlfriend, no wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, just wonderful down there, man. I, and that's why I embrace the most about it, because... It's an escape, you know? Yeah. For no matter what troubles you, that's your escape right there. That might work when your troubles are a presence, something to escape from. But when they're an absence, a missing family, all you can do is rush towards them. So we land safely, all that stuff. We have um, an hour and a half to spare. And Julie is now, she's being an optimist. We made it, we have an hour to spare. I was, and in my head, I was like, shut the fuck up, Julie. We're not done yet until we're on a fucking boat. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> so I was like, thank you, Julie. I'm so happy. Okay, awesome. But I had to like walk away because I'm like, anything can happen. Somebody, lightning right? Lightning <laughs> strikes, some roosters hanging out in the freaking middle of the road, like somebody, an accident. Like these last moments is this home stretch. It's like what athletes feel like. We're not done yet. Don't slow down just because you see the finish line. Like yeah. you gotta keep going. So we're getting there. We're on the dock, but we got stopped because they, again, we approached, they didn't understand that we are trying to get on the ship. They're like, they should have already been there. <laughs> they wanna, you know, take our passports and stuff. And this is where I was like, I couldn't hear anything at this moment. I was stuck. 
just silence. It was it was like a bright and dark time at the same moment. A kind of Schrodinger's cat moment, for she was experiencing two opposite states at once. She was simultaneously minutes away from seeing her family. And minutes away from being left behind on the dock yet again. Champagne made it on the boat, but anxiety has a way of sticking around, even when its underlying cause dissolves. And we get there, and I still could not turn it off. Like, for some reason, I needed to see the room. And I finally got in the room, and I just couldn't turn it off. I dropped my bags off, but I was like, I need to see my family. And my mom said that she was coming, so I finally saw her. What was that moment like? It wasn't what I imagined, because I ran the moment in my head of what I wanted, was hoping that they would all be in the room, and I run in, and I just finally break down and cry. You know the movie moment. (laughs) And I didn't have that. I didn't have that because I was such in a survival mode that I couldn't, I, I couldn't get there. I was too numb to get there. But best believe I mm. did get myself drunk that night. Yeah, <laughs> and I was yeah. a very happy drunk. But however happy she was that night at the piano bar, the story of her improbable struggle was written on her face. A lot of things about this trip were improbable, super unlikely, even within the confines of the managed fun and mass market relaxation offered by the Caribbean Cruise Line experience. The Rosenbergs themselves were improbable. Did we mention that probate judge and former child actor Max also plays a mean harmonica? And their meet-cute story is just filled with unlikely scenarios. And then Osi walks in, and she's got jet black, blue dyed, spiked up hair with goth glasses and this long black dress. But she's got a date there, of course, a guy Max refers to as Beady Eyes. And after Max steals his dance partner, Beady Eyes confronts him in a showdown. So he's getting ready to hit me. But I gave him a quick rabbit punch, right in the gut. Right in the gut, just just a little rabbit. Yes. Only time, only time in my life I've ever done anything like that. He goes, so I put my arm around him and I walk him back into the bar and I said, let me buy you a horse piss, we'll talk it out. And I said, I'm really sorry, far be it from me to ever ruin anybody's night, but I'm gonna marry that girl. And I said, and you're not. The Rosenbergs were never conventional people. And they found themselves, decades later, having a blast on this hell ship with strangers like us. It makes me question how easily I have dismissed prepackaged experiences, like everything on this ship, like the newlywed game. Oh, we did that one year? It was amazing. We did not win. <laughs> we weren't cute enough. Part of it, like, part of it came down to the fact that this couple was like 85 years old. They looked like two potatoes that had fallen in love. Max and Osi competed again that night. The host asked them, how would you rate your first kiss? I, I gave it a 10 plus because he 
picked up dog poo, so I didn't have to, because I had to walk my boss's dog. I gave it a seven because I was holding dog poo in my right hand. <laughs> maybe some formulas just work. Or maybe the unexpected, once it's sitting behind you in the immediate past, isn't terrifying so much as hilarious. Just hear my brother recount the moment he almost drowned while diving down next to a sea turtle. My body goes, hey, you're out of air. <laughs> that happens. And so I was like, sounds good, body. Let's go up. And I started kicking up, and then I realized that I had less air than I had time to get to the surface. That's the worst yeah. feeling in the world. And so I start maddeningly kicking as fast as I can. My mask comes off. I inhale seawater. And then I, I, I surface, and I'm like, oh, I like cough barfing seawater. Layla's like, oh, God, my husband's drowning. Hold on. Like, <laughs> but perhaps most of all, the unlikely path the unexpected turn is an opportunity to learn something. So much that was learned. Um, island time, it's real. <laughs> yes. Ugh, ooh, so much grace and patience. <laughs> when the split happened, I was just mm-hmm. like in my shell, like yeah. in my bubble. Like, okay, my daughter, and I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to get upset. I know she's going to be okay. I know, you know, and I just kept praying. Just kept praying that we would be all together again. But even more than patience, trust. There had to have been that trust in order for me to get there. And not just that, putting your worry time or anxiety aside, still have it, feel it, know that it's there, but not let it take over to where you do not have the clarity to be able to think about your A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. Be present and like think about where you're at in that moment so that you know what to do and don't worry about the past moments. Like the guy at the flight who said that you almost missed your flight. Well, you know what? In this present moment, I didn't. I'm about to walk on that plane because I could have let that take over me. I could have let everything else take over me and just be lost. And I saw that through Julie and Bob. I saw people quitting. I saw things that I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, fuck, this is what I do to myself. This is what I, and if I do it, how it affects other people around me, you're responsible for yourself. You can have life-changing moments. And I did. I married somebody off on a freaking dock. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hell, like, I've connected with so many people. I now can sleep over at these people's houses in Indiana and Seattle (laughs) and, like, back here in the islands. Like, they were just those heavy connections. And who knows, like, who they're connected with. And I'm like, they can say I saved their life. I was a fearless leader. Not that I wanted any of that. I didn't ask for any of that or this experience at all. But there is so many life-changing things that happen to me where it's like, I just want to now have better practices when I get home. That's great. And now my story's done. But our story is just beginning. We did not expect to walk away from this cruise with new friends, to be video chatting them months later during the darkest hours of the coronavirus quarantine. A supposedly fun thing we'll never do again? Maybe, maybe not. I never expected to go to prison or to fall in love with a wacky novelist. That's me. Or that I'd be here now talking to you on this podcast. 
but here we are. We're all navigating our own personal mazes, complete with dead ends, shortcuts, wrong turns, and minotaurs. That's what this show is about. Join us next time as we sit down with the visionary philanthropist, entrepreneur, and former presidential candidate, Andrew Yang, to talk about his own journey to helping humanity navigate the blind corners ahead. And stay tuned for unexpected stories from acclaimed writers Malcolm Gladwell and John Ronson. From rock legend Dave Navarro and icon LeVar Burton. So come on, get lost with us. Find us on Twitter, at Amanda Knox. At Man Under Bridge. At KnoxRobinson.com. And subscribe so you don't miss the next episode of Labyrinths. This episode was written by us. Edited and sound designed by Chandler Mays. With theme music by Josh Udo Karp. Fun fact, for every hour of Labyrinths you enjoy, we put in dozens of hours researching, outreaching, interviewing, scripting, editing, and audio engineering. What keeps us going? Coffee. Coffee. So if you're enjoying Labyrinths, please buy us a coffee. Head over to patreon.com slash Knox Robinson, where you can make a monthly donation. Thanks for getting lost with us.